Welcome to the Canadian Pediatric Society's Resident Section Executive Meet the Residents podcast. With visiting electives cancelled again this year, we recognize how hard it can be to get to know the programs and the people that make them up. We're here to bring you one step closer to the residents so that you can hear firsthand what it's like to practice at the various institutions. Please note that the opinions in this interview represent only those of the pediatric residents and do not necessarily represent the institutions where they practice. Today we're joined by Eleni, a PGY3 resident at the Ottawa Pediatrics Program. Let's hear more from Eleni about her experience so far. So thank you so much, Eleni, for taking some time to tell us about your experiences at the University of Ottawa Pediatrics Program um, and how things have been for you for the last few years. It's always a pleasure to, to be here and I, I love talking about the, the program and pediatrics, so thank you for having me. Uh, so we'll start off before we get into the program specifics to just learn a little bit more about you and sort of your path to residency. So tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of where you're from, where you did your undergrad, if you did something in between before med, and then kind of where you are in your residency today. Oh, absolutely. I, I am from a town outside of Toronto called Oakville. That's where I spent most of my childhood and I had the fortune of going to a French school my whole life. So I knew for me, my future was probably in a city like Ottawa, where things are mostly bilingual. So that's where I ended up going for undergrad. I did a bachelor's of health sciences and a minor in psychology at the University of Ottawa. And then after five years, I managed to get into med school um, at the University of Ottawa as well in the French stream. So that's why I kind of stuck around. It's mostly for the French, but also for the the excellent program, as, as you know. And then I ended up matching to Chio Pediatrics um, as my first choice, which was also very nice because it was a dream of mine ever since I stepped foot at uh, the University of Ottawa. Um, I knew that for some reason, I just knew I wanted to go to Chio and be a resident at Chio. So it was it was a dream come true that match day. That's a little bit about where, where I'm from and how I got here. Okay, perfect. Um, and you sort of talked about how Chio was really where you wanted to go. Was Pete something that you always knew you wanted to do? Or was there another specialty in med school that kind of caught your eye and somehow Pete's won out in the end? I think I was about 16 when I realized, I, A, I wanted to be a doctor and B, I knew that if I was going to be a doctor, I was going to do pediatrics. I don't know if it's because I was born the eldest of a family of three and I was always the eldest cousin and, and you know, eldest of, of a group of kids. Um, but I, I always had that feeling of wanting to be the, a mentor and be someone that people looked up to. And I thought pediatrics is probably the best way to go. And of course, I, you know, you can't beat out having kids as your your patient population. They're so funny. They're, they're so resilient. Um, they, they're just such beautiful people inside and out and I know that and I, I knew back then and I, I still think so now that the idea of waking up and going to work every day and working with with young people it just brings a smile to my face no matter how tired I am no matter what's going on in the world even with this pandemic happening I'm still very happy to go to Chio so that's um that's my big plug for pediatrics and the reason I really love peds, other than the reasons I mentioned as well, is that oftentimes kids can't really tell you where it's hurting. Kids can't tell you what's the issue. And kids are often dependent on the adults in their lives. And so your job is not only to treat the kid as the patient, but you also have to treat the family as a whole. 
And for those who are interested in the social determinants of health and doing advocacy or even work in health policy, there is so much work to be done in all of those fields, including research. And so it's definitely a field where you're continuously challenged from all sides and you're never you're never going to be bored because whether you're seeing a premature baby or you're seeing a seven year old with Kawasaki disease or you're seeing a 15 year old with an eating disorder, you're always going to be appreciated and you're always going to be challenged. Uh, you know, that's that that intellectual challenge will always be there and that satisfaction at the end of the day of helping someone in need. So it sounds like it was kind of the population was definitely an appeal to you, but also everything else that comes along with, you know, practicing um, in a pediatric institution and just having that as your patient. Absolutely. And I find that folks who are attracted to pediatrics are often people who are, you know, they're very, very kind. They're very family oriented. They're, they, they like to have a life outside of the, the hospital and not to say other specialties don't, but I find that it's, it much we, we find people who are like-minded in the specialties we gravitate towards. I also find that a lot of us, we're, we're young at heart as well. So, so we, we all still like to make jokes. We still, um, you know, we have no problem coming to work with funky shirts on or having, you know, toys around our lanyards. So I think it attracts a certain person with a sense of humor and uh, adaptability as well. And then a, a lot of us get along because of, of those characteristics. We stay young. Absolutely. Sounds like sort of a wonderful environment to work in every day. Now that we've kind of established, you know, we got to know you a little bit better and kind of your interest in PEDS, um, we'll start off on an institution level um, and how things are done at CHEO. So you've got a unique perspective because you did your med school at the University of Ottawa, so you rotated through CHEO and then you transitioned into residency. And even though it's the same institution, of course, being a medical student versus being a resident is a big transition um, that, that takes place. What was your experience like kind of moving from being that med student to now being the resident? I think that's a great question. I was very fortunate to have done some rotations as a med student through CHEO. Uh, even if you're in the French stream, we still have to do our pediatrics at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. And what was really cool was pre-pandemic, we actually had the opportunity to do three straight weeks of CTU. And then sprinkled in those three weeks, we had our, our call shifts. So we were basically treated like junior residents. And we got that experience, which I thought was very helpful in preparing us for the realities of residency later on. And... I was very grateful as a med student specifically to have had such supportive junior residents and senior residents who immediately made me feel like I was welcomed. I was very, very helpful that my presence there was valued. And that made it really easy to spend those sometimes 12 hour days seeing patients, writing notes and helping out with other tasks. And I think that transition from being a medical student to a resident was made that much easier because of those opportunities and knowing that there were senior uh, learners out there who were trying to match my personal learning objectives to what was going on in the hospital. And I think that's the, one of the beautiful things about the program is that even now on the flip side, now I'm the resident um, and I'm the one who is seeing medical students coming through. And this is my third year as both 
a medical learner myself, but also as somebody who is helping to train the next generation of doctors. And I can, I can really see the value in teaching and taking the time to listen to the medical students and trying to pair their learning objectives with what they're doing. And I know that what the way that I was taught helped me become the resident I am today. And so it's really cool to be able to pay that forward. And what's really nice too is having those discussions. I'm I'm right now a CTU senior. I'm having chats with my junior medical students and having those opportunities to talk about the realities of the job being, you know, talking about imposter syndrome, for example, feeling it as a third year med student and feeling it as a third year pediatrics resident. You know, that's one thing we all have in common is that the imposter syndrome never really goes away, but you get more confident as time goes on. And that's something that I think I hope by sharing those experiences with them that they uh, they felt that. But it's it's really interesting to be on both sides. And I think definitely my experiences as a med student prepared me for a residency here. Obviously, that transition from med student to resident is a big one, but you don't stop there. You know, you go from being a junior resident to a senior resident and the responsibilities change as you progress through. How do you find that the program supports these transitions uh, throughout residency? I find that the program at CHIO and the University of Ottawa is, is very helpful and very supportive. The reason I say this is that we have a unique period at the beginning of our first year of residency where the first two weeks are dedicated entirely to getting to know the institution, getting to know the program, getting to know the staff and your co-residents. And it's basically an introduction to the profession. So for two weeks, we're usually doing a mix of in-person and virtual classes. Now that it, with the pandemic, a lot of it has been moved to virtual and getting to learn the hospital system, the electronic medical record, and also having time built in to get to know our staff, our program director, our senior residents, and then our senior residents were actually responsible for having socials in the evenings. So it was almost like a, an orientation week style setup where you'd have the academics during the day, but in the evenings we'd go mini putting, or we'd go for drinks at a, a pub, or we'd go watch a movie or something like that and it was really really cool and low stakes so none of us were on call none of us had any clinical duties we were just there to, to learn and absorb and get used to things and the other thing that I thought was interesting too is that we have access to um, vertical mentorship now so we have vertical mentorship groups where there's a first year second year third year we also have some fourth years and some fellows who have joined our groups and we also have a staff that join us for events too. So it's, I thought that was very nice to have um, for that mentorship piece and, and you know, very low stakes texting like, hey, I have a question about this rotation. Can you help me out with this? And zero judgment and having that there was very helpful. And so I think now with the CBME and CBME for those who aren't familiar with it is the competency by design education, um, all of our pediatric residents now, at least those who have started out this year, are paired with an academic advisor. So it's a faculty member who works at TIO and they you meet with them once every month or once every few months. And it's almost like you get a little progress report, but at least you're guaranteed to have that person there who's going to help keep you on track and answer your questions. And, and it's very, very nice. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that you have a lot of support available. There's a lot of formal mentorship, but there's also a lot of opportunities to meet people during the orientation week and during your rotations and find your own mentors as well. And so you're never alone. 
and even within the resident body, I knew I could ask anybody in the lounge, on the wards, over WhatsApp, um, any question, and I would be, it'd be well received and I would have my answer. Okay, great. So sounds like a really good sort of support as you make these important transitions throughout. And then for people who aren't at Chiyo and sort of don't see how interactions take place, how much time do you find that you spend as a junior resident with other juniors, with senior residents, with fellows, with staff, and sort of how does that change as you progress through residency? That's a great question, too. I think that as a junior, I spent probably most of my time with my senior residents in the sense that when I was on nights, for example, I spend most of my time either with a second or third year resident who is the night senior. And those evenings, I would either spend them with my co-junior, so they would be pediatric residents. We also do call shifts with uh, cross-covering residents. So if there's anyone in dermatology, uh, anybody in genetics or anybody in family medicine. So it's nice to get to meet people from other programs as well. During the days, if we're on CTU, we're usually on with another junior resident in our year or a senior resident who's leading the team. So that's usually a third resident. The programs at CHEO are actually small enough that oftentimes I find myself working with the fellows quite closely. So for example, I, I get to know the endocrinology fellows quite well, the nephrology fellows quite well, and the hematology oncology fellows very, very well. And so we, we do have a lot of that multidisciplinary and um, interdisciplinary work ethic, which is really fun. And then there are some specialties that are so small. So I'm thinking about adolescent medicine, um, rheumatology, where oftentimes if you have to call the service, you're talking to the staff one-on-one. -on -one. And what's nice is that more times than not, we actually get some nice teaching when we do consult with a question and it, it does help us create that critical thinking and, and, and learn more about the case. So even during the pandemic, I think the pandemic was the hardest, to be honest with you, because that was a period of time early on, at least, where we saw each other the least. And it was really funny because sometimes if you came into the lounge at 6 p.m., those of us who could have gone home a long time ago were still in the lounge just chatting and catching up. And I was one of them. You know, I get texts from my partner being like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I saw people in the lounge. And then somehow an hour later, we're still talking about the shows we've been watching or the workouts we've been doing at home with our textbooks as our weights for squats. And uh, it's we're, we're, we're quite close, I have to say, at Chiu. And it's it was tough in the pandemic, but better now for sure. So sounds like kind of more specialty dependent, kind of more of um yeah, service dependent in terms of who you'll interact with, but sort of between the resident cohort and the fellow seems like easily you're interacting with everyone sort of on a regular basis and then with staff as well. So now that we've sort of got a better picture of how things are run and a bigger, um, you know, at the institution level, we'll hone in a little bit on how things are done at the University of Ottawa PEDS program and some specific highlights about it. So we'll start off with an easy question and go into what are your favorite aspects of the Ottawa PEDS program? This is my favorite question to answer for anyone who's who's on Instagram and follows us at Ottawa PEDS. This is the one I answer the most often. I think the cheesiest answer I can give you, my favorite part of the program has to be the people. I think somehow we're able through CARMS and this mystical process that is CARMS, we tend to attract like-minded people from all walks of life, different 
programs, different areas of Canada and even outside of Canada. And somehow we all just tend to get along so nicely. And, and these are people that if I had a, an emergency at like two in the morning, I would call them and they would come and help me and vice versa. So I think, you, you know, the people you can't beat. I think if if you want a less cheesy answer, because people have told me, oh, Lenny, you know, I've heard this before. The people at Chio are great. <laughs> awesome. What else is good about the program? I'd say excellent question. <laughs> I think Chio itself is a unique place to work because of where we're located. So if you think about Ottawa, Ottawa is located in eastern Ontario. It is the capital of Canada, and it is a place where there are a lot of francophones, bilingual folks, and people from all sorts of different backgrounds and different languages come and meet. And so it's very much a place where if you want, in a single day, you could talk to somebody from Southern Ontario, Eastern Ontario, from the Quebec side, you can talk to people from Baffin Island and Nunavut, you can talk to folks from um, our Indigenous communities, and all in one good day's work. And I think the diversity of our patient population is very much a strong suit. And especially if you're somebody who's interested in working with people from, um, you know, different types of backgrounds and th that social pediatric side as well is very strong at CHEO. And so I, th I think definitely the patient population, the diversity of our patients and their presentations and the opportunities to work in those communities as well. I've been saying this for the past couple of weeks, but I've been very excited about my upcoming rotation in a Calouet, which uh, usually six residents per uh, every year get to go in third or fourth year and do a four to six weeks rotations um, rotation in on Baffin Island. And I'm so excited. And everybody who comes back only has nice things to say about it. And it's just wonderful that at Chio we get to, to do things like that. Other opportunities include like White Horse or Sioux Lookout, but um, all of these patients that we see are, pe are people that um, they're, they're just wonderful people to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for highlighting those. Definitely some wonderful things that I'm sure applicants are curious to sort of experience for themselves and uh, know that the Ottawa program has to offer. And then sort of thinking about the, you know, the positive things that programs have to offer and all the wonderful things that they incorporate, there's always the other side to consider as well, that times are changing and it's important to have a program that's flexible and also willing to make changes um, that sort of match what's happening in the area and sort of match what the residents are asking for. What are some things that you feel the program is currently working on or trying to improve? I think that that's always an important question for people to ask, and I would encourage everybody to ask residents and faculty any program you're interested in. It's always good to know which are the points that the program find are either uh, challenging or things that they're working on. I'll be 100% honest. I think one of the downsides of our program is the, the burden of call. It's something we're known for. It's something that I think concerns a lot of people and, and with reason, right? So if you think about it, per the PARO rules, and PARO is the organization that uh, is, it's basically a union for residents and it helps protect the rights of residents in Ontario and every province has their own version of this. You know, we're only allowed a maximum of seven 24-hour call shifts in a 28-day period or block. 
And so oftentimes, especially during times like the holidays, we find ourselves maxed out on call. So a lot of us are doing the six to seven calls per block. And that's, if you think about that, that's your regular work day. So let's say you start at eight, you finish at 4.30. Well, you get the handover for the team you're covering at 4.30 and you're continuing to cover until 8 a.m. the next day. And so that's a 24 hour work day. And that can get quite exhausting quite quickly, especially if you're starting out and you don't yet have that endurance built up and you don't have those safeguards in place to help keep your wellness and your health um, at a good level. And so I think one thing that the program has done is it's really listened to the wellness committee, which I am a part of, in terms of trying to implement initiatives to help make this burden a bit easier to bear because it's really hard to change a system once it's been implemented for many, many years. But what we can do is support residents through this and help them um, keep their wellness and keep their health and, and, and make sure that they're taking care of themselves. And so one of the things we've done is we've implemented a wellness meter in the lounge. And so this wellness meter is uh, we, we, we take into account people voting with popsicle sticks. So we have green, yellow, and red. When there's more yellow and red, the wellness team lets the program leadership know. And usually in those moments, we do tend to have a house staff meeting or a meeting between the program direction and the residents. And we do a check-in and we're like, hey guys, things aren't looking too hot. What can we do to help? And so talking about those things oftentimes and airing it out and making it, you know, it's not a secret and it shouldn't be something we're ashamed of I think that's been very helpful for the residents to to have that acknowledged. I think the other challenge as well is that we are well known for having a lot of neonatology experience for a, a, a program that's that's general pediatrics. And that's something that our wonderful neonatology team has really taken into stride and they've taken extraordinary measures to make sure that we're well cared for during those rotations, that we have the support, that we're getting teaching, and that we're getting hands-on experience during those resuscitations. And so we walk away from, from these rotations and these call shifts that much stronger as residents, to the point where I dare say the 24-hour call shifts and the NICU experience made uh, made me a stronger resident, a better senior resident, and I'm and better ready to take on the challenges coming forward for me as as a future fellow in adolescent medicine. So I would say those two would be the bigger challenges, but that the program is very receptive and that things are in place and things are still changing. And the program is very receptive to resident feedback, 100%. I think that's something really reassuring for applicants who are joining that sort of when issues arise, the program is willing to sort of make changes to help residents deal with those as they come. And you sort of mentioned uh, a little bit about the call schedule in terms of um, how frequent it can be. Is that how the call schedule is structured throughout the years as a 24-hour call model? Or does that change as sort of the years progress? And the other side to that question is you talked about, you know, definitely needing to care yourself when the call burden gets heavy. What are some strategies and things that you've learned along the way to help with that? Yeah, that's an amazing question. So I'll break it down maybe by year because I think that'll be easier to for, for, for listeners to understand. So in, in first year, most of the call that you do will be those 24-hour calls. And so when you're on rotations like the clinical teaching unit or CTU, when you're on neonatology, you'll 
usually be covering those wards. And so as much as possible, our chief schedulers and our, our scheduling coordinator tries to minimize cross covering whenever we can. Once you do a rotation like NICU in your first year or neonatology, you are able to cover that service, even if you're on another service. And so let's say, for example, that we need someone to cover a call on a Tuesday night, and that person that we're asking is currently on CTU at another location. Well, that person is eligible to cover for the NICU if they've already done that rotation. And so sometimes that does happen. And honestly, handover is important, communication is important, and we become very good at adapting to different patient populations, learning very quickly about our patient lists, and making sure that our patients are safe. And we're never alone in dealing with this because in your first year, you're still considered a junior resident for the entire duration of the year. So you're usually going to be paired with a senior, regardless if you're in the NICU or you're on the wards. So that's reassuring. And I felt very safe um, and, and taken care of when I was doing either my neonatology call shifts or my CTU call shifts. When you're doing your month-long surgery rotation, you are actually doing something called home call. So let's say you're on call Tuesday night and after 4.30 p.m. you're done your work, you're done your notes, there's nothing pending for the OR, there's no consults pending on the wards and there are no consults in the emergency department, you could technically go home. There's a chance that you might get paged and so those pages could be for patients that are admitted and you just answer it over the phone and you have access to the electronic medical record from home and that's the end of it. There are times though where if you are at home, you could get called in to do a consult. You could get called in to be an assistant in the OR and that could be at any time of the night. And so you could be in bed, it happened to me one time, 11 p.m., I went to bed, the second my head hit the pillow, I got a page, I had to go in for a, for a missed appendicitis and that's fine, that's part of the learning curve. The thing is even with the home calls, you get the post call the next day if you're in, uh, I believe if you're in an hour after midnight for a, a total of an hour after midnight, you get to claim the next day as a post call and you get to claim it as uh, a, basically a 24 hour shift. So that would be the exception to the 24 hour call rule. You become a senior in your second year. And in your second year, you do a block of PICU, so the pediatric intensive care unit. You do a couple of blocks of NICU again. And then you do shifts where you are night senior. The night senior shifts specifically, you're doing every other night for two weeks and you're doing it from 4 p.m. until 8 a.m. the next day. So they're technically 16 hour shifts. And then you get your post call day and then you're back the next day at 4 p.m. to do the same thing over again. So those would be in second year. That is when you start doing those night senior shifts only after you're done your ICU shifts. And in third year, that's when you start doing more home call. So you'll have, for example, you can be on transfer call. So if there's a transfer that needs to happen to the hospital, you're the one who takes the page, you get all the information and you let the staff and the night senior or the day senior know, and then your job is done. So that's kind of how the calls evolve. And as you go on, technically as of third year, we try to do more home call when possible. In fourth year, because that's the year most pediatric residents are studying for their Royal College exam, we try to protect them from doing call as much as possible. They still do call. They'll maybe do three to four call shifts a month. But as much as possible, we try to protect their time 
for studying for the Royal College exam. And so ideally what you'll see is a gradual tapering of the number and the burden of call as you go forward. With the pandemic, it's been a bit challenging, I'll have to admit to you, because as soon as someone has any symptoms, if they have a fever, they're not feeling well, they have to stay home. We've uh, changed our, our way of doing things a little bit so that on top of having our regular schedule, we have a junior backup resident who is on call for that day in case somebody calls in sick. And we also have the senior backup resident. So somebody in second year or beyond who's able to cover ICU nights, night floats and even wards if needed. So that's the that's kind of breaking down how the call is done. So I think that was part one of your question. Part two of your question is a little bit more fun to answer because it's the the wellness piece of it. And, and wellness is something that I love to talk about. I think everybody, after the first few months of starting residency, you find your own groove and you find your own schedule. And sometimes that schedule has to be changed a little bit depending on which rotation you're in. But if you're somebody who, before you start a residency, you're somebody who likes to go to the gym or you run or you do art, you like to write, I would really encourage you to keep up those activities as much as you can during residency. Those are the activities that will fill up your cup. And sometimes that cup's going to run pretty dry. I'm not going to lie. Residency is not easy. Medicine is not easy. Being a doctor isn't easy. But what you can do to help keep your cup full or on the more full side are the things that you love to do. And sometimes that can be as silly as actually going into your phone and scheduling in, this is when I'm going to the gym. An hour before bed, this is when I'm writing a poem or I'm going to write in my journal. And that's what it if that's what it takes for you to keep doing the things you love and keep keeping your humanity in medicine, I encourage you to do that. Full disclosure, I do that. That is what I do. Keeping close to your friends and family, super important. And I always say this when people are thinking about the pros and cons of programs they're looking at, I would encourage you not to underestimate the importance of having people in your corner physically in the same place you are in. Because I can tell you for a fact, having my family from uh, from back home, moved to Ottawa when I matched here for med school, and then stay here when I matched here for residency has been a great help for sure. And of course, we're Greek. So my, my mom said, you know what, my kids are all in Ottawa, we're going to come to Ottawa. I love it. I get Greek food, I get, you know, breakfast on Sundays. That's what keeps me sane. And that's what keeps me human during this process that can quite oftentimes feel like you're you're, you're, you're fighting against time and you're fighting against your own needs to sleep and, and do things. So friends and family are super important. And the last thing I want to encourage people to, to think about is if you are in a place where you're feeling, you're feeling down, you're feeling tired, you're feeling burnt out, and you feel like you're not enjoying things as much anymore, you're allowed to take some time off. And there are things that are built into our program, there are protocols built in that you can actually take paid leave, leaves of absences if you need to. And I think that's those are really important points. And that's something that even when you're a staff physician, you need to still take care of yourself because the demands change, but the demands aren't less um, arduous. So I hope that answers that question as well. 
Absolutely. I think you've highlighted some really important things. Like like you said, you know, medicine is hard and residency is difficult. So it's important to implement things in your own life to keep you going as you sort of progress through. Um, because if you don't take the initiative to sort of make the time for them, you may not uh, care for yourself as well as you should. Um, and that's, of course, sort of wonderful to implement these things yourself. But it's also great to have a program who's supportive of resident wellness and sort of has things implemented in place. And it's kind of great to chat with you a little bit further about sort of the wellness activities that are undertaken by the program, given sort of your involvement with this. So what does that look like for the Ottawa Peds program? For sure. And I'm a little bit biased. So uh, full disclosure, I'm the, the committee leader and I've been for the last year and a half. And some of the, the wonderful things we've been able to implement uh, in the program are uh, peer support rounds. So these existed pre-COVID, but obviously with the pandemic, it's been very hard to meet in person. And so the program was very supportive in my idea to make peer support rounds every month on Zoom. And we were able to organize sessions where it was resident led and we'd pick a theme and talk about a theme and debrief about personal anecdotes or things that are hard in medicine. And then other times we were able to get guest speakers. So for example, Jeff Vitt, who's our spiritual care advisor, he was able to come lead a few sessions on wellness and teach us some mindfulness tricks. Um, Jillian Horton, who wrote uh, a lovely a book that came out a couple years ago on wellness, was able to come chat with us as well about her experiences. Um, and so that was really cool. And then this year, we've implemented uh, two full academic days out of the month, as opposed to having four academic half days. And on those days, we'd have peer support rounds, which has helped um, protect residents to have time to attend the rounds. And it's made for quite rich discussions and and, and uh, even you know the last peer support rounds were last week we talked about our favorite Christmas movies and things that make us feel good and um, feelings about the holidays and how they can be mixed and a lot of people wrote to me afterwards and said wow I think this is the first time other people have acknowledged that the holidays can be equally exciting but also anxiety inducing because of interesting family dynamics and so th that's one cool thing that we've done the wellness meter is another one that was actually an idea of one of my team members. Um, and that's something actually that's now being implemented in other institutions. So I believe Queens is implementing a wellness meter. So we're very excited to hear that. And CHEO is known to host a CHEO uh, resident wellness day every year. So that's usually in February. So last year we did a full day of activities where the first half day was in the morning and it was um, on Zoom again because of the pandemic. So we did a resident breakfast. So people were logging on in their pajamas and showing us what they had for breakfast. Um, I think, you know, we have a couple of residents who love making smoothie bowls. I like to make pancakes and people had their coffees and it was really nice to just chat. And, you know, it, it would have been even better in person, but we we still made it work. And then in the afternoon, we went to a place called Conroy Pit where people can bring their dogs and people brought their dogs and went went for a little walk in the snow and it was quite lovely and people truly appreciated the opportunity to just let loose and be themselves in a setting that was outside of the hospital. And so those are just a few examples off the cuff. Um, but I think that we we do our best as a residency program to help keep our residents well. And when there are things that are not going so well, the other day I had people approach me with some issues and immediately I was able to talk to Jeff, our spiritual advisor, um, 
Amy Robinson, who's our faculty wellness lead and our program director, Dr. Odsent, and immediately brainstormed, have some debriefing sessions set up. And this was in a couple, like within 24 hours, we had supports in place. So th those are just some, some concrete examples, but we're, I think the key to any wellness in the program is listening to its residents, listening to the learners, being responsive and having safeguards in place that you can call upon on short notice and also long term. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. So thank you for that nice overview of how the Ottawa Peds program sort of um, is run and some highlights of the program, some of your favorite aspects, some things about how the call schedule works, senioring, all of the details that applicants tend to be really interested about. Before we move on, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think makes the Ottawa Peds program different from other uh, programs across Canada that you wanted to highlight to applicants? I think I mentioned this briefly before, but I think one thing that CHEO and the UOttawa program does very well is the social pediatrics side of things. Dr. Sue Bennett, she is our head of the Division of Social Pediatrics, helped start the Vanier Social Pediatrics Hub, which is modeled after um, uh, Gilles Julien's model out of Montreal. And as of this year, residents, as of their first year, are actually able to go do rotations through that hub where we offer multidisciplinary services to patients. Not only that, a lot of our residents have paired up with physicians who work in that clinic to be able to do research projects and advocacy projects. And so if you're somebody who is very interested in sociopolitical determinants of health, if you're interested in health policy, if you're interested in health inequities, which is my personal um, research and advocacy project, then UOttawa is well equipped to help you reach those goals. A lot of our staff work for the Canadian Pediatric Society as well. A lot of our staff are well published. They have written books, they have written chapters and textbooks. They are quite prolific researchers as well. And so those fields are, I think, one of the greatest strengths of our institution. And so that's one thing that I want people to keep in mind as well. And the last piece I'll say is that a the, one of the more common questions I get also on the Instagram page is, do I need to be French speaking or bilingual to come to CHEO? You absolutely don't have to be. It's not a requirement of the program. Like any language, if you have another language, it is absolutely an asset. If you have the French, it's absolutely an asset because of our proximity to Quebec and our Franco-Ontarian population. And so... If you are interested in learning French, we do offer free classes on evenings for those who want to learn the basics of medical French. And I'm hopeful that in the future we'll be able to offer these services in other languages as well. But that, those are just some of the two main things that I think really make us stand out. And I hope that people think twice when they're trying to compare programs and they realize that, you know, this is what puts cheer on the map, at least for me. That's just my opinion. Okay, perfect. Thanks for highlighting those things, Alani. Um, and again, for going over those highlights about the program altogether. 
We'll sort of zoom in a little bit now that we've talked about the institution, we've talked about the program, and we'll dive into kind of the day-to-day -day at CHEO for all of the applicants who maybe didn't have a chance to visit CHEO and see how things are run on a day-to-day -day basis. So we'll start off um, very sort of basic question in terms of charting. How is that done at the at CHEO? Is it done through an EMR and or paper charts and in terms of accessing patient information for patients coming from outside CHEO, what does that look like? Oh, 100%. If you have experience with Epic Hyperspace, that is the EMR or electronic medical record that we use at CHEO. It's the same record we use at SickKids as well and the charts are actually linked. So if you do have experience working at U of T, for example, or you've done electives at the Sick Kids Hospital. Um, it's the exact same EMR that we have at CHEO. To answer the question about how can we see uh, things from outside of, of CHEO, there is, I believe it's called Clinical Connect Ontario. So there's a way to access other results through the chart. And so Ever since we've had access to the Clinical Connect Ontario, it's made looking for results and uh, consultations and reports so much easier. And it's actually made patient care more efficient and I would say safer because then you get all that information and you get a clearer picture of what your patient's coming in with and what their past history is. And I would have to say I'm not being paid by Epic Hyperspace by any means. I am not sponsored by them. I really like the EMR. I find it's easy to use. I think that, you know, as someone who grew up using MSN Messenger and then all these other things, Facebook, Instagram, I find it's it's very, uh, it's made, cut down my admission times from doing things on paper, which I did in medical school, to doing them online. It's cut down a lot of time. It makes things more streamlined and we get, we do get quite a bit of training using it. And so I do, I do quite like that. I don't think we do anything by paper anymore. And we still we use Epic both for inpatient and for outpatient patient, uh, interactions. Um, and then in terms of kind of the things that you would see at CHEO, you touched on before that it's a quite a diverse population that you serve and sort of a large catchment area. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 100%. CHEO, CHEO's catchment area covers, I believe, 2 million patients. And that includes patients both in Ottawa, in Eastern Ontario, um, on, in West Quebec, so the Outaouais region, which includes Gatineau Hall. And it also includes Baffin Island in Nunavut. So we are very, very often in connection with our colleagues in Iqaluit, um, the Kikitani General Hospital. And we also get patients from all the other smaller communities on Baffin Island. So it's, it's quite a large catchment area that we cover, and we do have quite a large diversity of patients that come through the institution, not just CHEO itself, but also the, the satellite clinics. And so that's been one of the, the wonderful opportunities, is meeting people from all walks of life, from all over Ontario and Nunavut, and also having people come from all over the world. Because oftentimes, if you're a diplomat or you're working if from an international position, a lot of folks end up in Ottawa and when their kids need medical care, they do end up coming to our institution. And so it's been very rewarding being able to serve people from all sorts of different cultural backgrounds, linguistic backgrounds. And with the recent advent of our iPad voice application, which allows us to 
translate in over 230 languages, it's made access to care a lot easier, both for healthcare workers and the patients seeking care. And so that's a really big strength of our institution, I find. Okay, and then with this kind of really broad, diverse population that's walking through the door, um, what are the kind of common presentations that you're seeing coming through Emerge being admitted on the wards? Yeah, I think before pandemic, before the pandemic hit, you had your classic seasons. So usually from around, I'd say late September until maybe February, March, we call that bronchiolitis season. So that means you might have 12 admissions in one night. Uh, and that's not just you yourself, that's stretched over everyone who's on call. Probably six or seven would be for bronchiolitis or croup or asthma. And so it's, it's basically respiratory illness season. And that's very much bread and butter pediatrics. In between the, that season, in the summertime, you typically see more uh, MSK type of injuries. So people who were swimming, sunstroke, um, injuries from sports and things and, and other similar presentations. At the start of the pandemic, we actually had a decrease in how many people were showing up to the eMERGE. So the presentations became a little less varied. But what we did end up noticing was that whenever we did have to admit somebody, the severity of the case was a bit higher. And I don't know if this was seen in other places. We certainly noticed it at CHEO, but there were uh, a lot of diabetic ketoacidosis cases coming in. There were a lot of uh, abdominal masses or other masses that ended up becoming um, oncological cases. Um, we did see a steep increase in our mental health presentations, specifically depression, um, suicide attempts, and eating disorders just skyrocketed. I would say now that we're hopefully at the tail end of the pandemic, and I hope I didn't just jinx, all, jinx us all with saying that, I think we're, um, we're getting back to how things were pre-pandemic. So for example, today I saw a kiddo with... Um, you know, again, respiratory illness, Kawasaki disease, um, osteomyelitis. These are some of the things you can expect to see when you are working in inpatient pediatric medicine. I also get to see the mental health side of things. So eating disorders, anxiety, somatic symptom disorders. I get to see babies with feeding difficulties or inadequate weight gain. And I get to see kids who are on their way to the adult world and help them transition uh, out of pediatric care into the adult world care. And so in a single day's work, I feel like I've been through every single subspecialty. I've seen almost every age group and somehow I'm able to keep all their stories straight in my head. And I feel like I know them like I know my own family. And it's just a wonderful learning opportunity. And that's why I think pediatrics is also such a great field is because you, you don't only see bread and butter, you oftentimes see the zebras that make medicine very interesting and it keeps you sharp and it keeps you keeps your skills up as well. So a really good exposure sort of across the field. You said that bread and butter, but also those kind of unique cases that everybody's always super interested in. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now that we sort of have a better sense of how the day-to-day -day is done at CHEO, we'll step away from the hospital and kind of residency altogether and think about sort of other aspects that um, people should have in their lives as well. So we'll think about sort of living in Ottawa and what that looks like. So sort of from your perspective, you've been here for undergrad and then med school and residency. Um, 
What are some things that you can do during your time off in Ottawa? Any favorite spots? Oh my gosh. So full disclosure, I've been here for 11 and a half years now. I've spent all of my adult life in, uh, in Ottawa and I've definitely developed soft spots for many places in the city. I think having grown up in the GTA uh, outside of Toronto, I know a lot of my friends who've moved to Ottawa from Toronto have complained that Ottawa is smaller, it's quote unquote boring, um, it's too cold. I really disagree. I think that Ottawa is a beautiful city. If anyone has ever been to Ottawa, you know that it's known for the canal, which is beautiful in the summer, beautiful in the winter. It's the world's largest skating rink. You get beaver tails uh, while you're skating. If you don't skate like me, you can just walk on the canal um, in the winter time. And it's just a beautiful experience. We're so close to so many beautiful parks both within Ottawa and over on the Quebec side in Gatineau. So Gatineau Park is a huge, huge, huge spotlight that I'd like to highlight because if you like to hike, you'll get to hike. You want to swim, you want to do cycling, go at it. That is what they're known for. In the wintertime, the trails open for cross-country skiing, snowshoeing. It is, they're, they're, you're never bored, honestly. If you're not so much the outdoor type, I can personally attest that the coffee shops in Ottawa are amazing. I write a blog called the Ottawa Cafe Hopper and my job basically is I go to every cafe in Ottawa and I try to write a little blurb promoting local and there's just so many cute places to go for good coffee, good tea if you're not a coffee drinker, food, I spent most of my med school life studying at Figaro Coffee House, which is close to the Faculty of Medicine, um, lots of cute places. There are museums with free entry for people with student cards on Thursdays. You can do, there, there is a nightlife, so you do have access to bars, pubs, restaurants. The National Arts Center has something called, oh my gosh, I forget what it's called now. Basically, you, you can log on to get uh, tickets the day of to shows. And because they're last minute tickets, they're like 50 to 75% off. So people have gone to see the opera, ballet, other types of theater um, presentations for like 15 bucks in front row seats. But like I said, there's something for everybody. And if you are truly a big city person or bigger city person, Montreal's two hours away by car two hours away by train and then Toronto is about five to six hours away as well so you're well placed and Ottawa has an international airport so if you want to go to Mexico go strong all right so definitely not a shortage of things that you can do in Ottawa it sounds like and for everybody who's sort of considering moving to Ottawa and sort of living here who's maybe from out of town what's the cost of living like in the city that they can expect I think since the pandemic started Truly, I've seen an increase in the rent. So not where I'm at specifically, because obviously once you sign a lease, you're kind of locked in and then they raise the rent a little bit every year. I think if you're looking for something like a one bedroom, one bath closer to the university or closer to the med school, you can probably look at paying anywhere between 1200 to 1500 a month. 
And most places don't include electricity, heating, water, or parking. So that those are extra costs you'd have to think about. A lot of my colleagues end up living with other people. So if you live in a two-bedroom, you can live with someone else, and that cuts, cuts the cost considerably. A lot of folks come to the city with partners, so that also helps a lot if you, you have someone um, who can help share the cost with you. Um, where people tend to live in residency is very variable. I live about 10 minutes away in the east end of town. A lot of folks live in the Elmvale area, which is closer to the Faculty of Medicine and closer to Chio. A lot of people live in an area called Westboro or uh, Westboro and Hintonburg, which is a bit more of the hip, cool place where there's more young professionals who live there, lots of cafes, uh, escape rooms, things like that. So that, that's also a very nice area to live in. And some folks live downtown because they want to be right in the action. They want to be able to use the services, use the light rail train, use the buses, get around. And um, depending on where you live, I think the closer you're out of downtown, the more you're going to pay for rent. The further out you are, the cheaper things tend to get, for sure. But in most cases, a lot of folks don't need cars. If you live close to busing or the light rail transit, if you live close enough to walk, a lot of my colleagues walk or bike. In the winter time, a bit tougher to walk, if when it's, especially when it's cold. But some folks still end up biking and they just get the winter bikes and the winter tires and everything. So lots of options available, sort of based on people's preferences of where they want to go. Absolutely. And then you mentioned sort of trip to Mexico, thinking, you know, moving outside of Ottawa and going to other places as great as Ottawa can be. What does vacation look like in the program in terms of how many weeks do you get? Um, can you stagger them together or sort of spread them out? How does that work? So I think I, I spoke earlier about PARA, which is the resident organization. So it's it's really nice because it means that the the rules that apply to CHEO also uh, apply to other programs in Ontario. So typically we're guaranteed four weeks of paid vacation. And what's nice about that is you can't, you, you can use it however you like. The only exception being you have to apply for the time off. And then the service that you would be on during your vacation time has to approve of your vacation time. And if they don't, they have to counter offer with another set of dates. So they can't they can say, hey, listen, someone else on your service is off this week. So if you were off this week, this, there wouldn't be anybody on the service. Can we give you the following week or can we give you the week before instead? And so I I've, I've, haven't had any issues scheduling vacation time. And sometimes if forever the reason you need two weeks off in a row, some what some people end up doing is they'll take the last week of a block off and then the first week of a block off. So that way you're only using a week for each rotation and then you get two consecutive weeks off. And people have done that for things like their own weddings, um, going to a loved one's wedding a bit less with COVID, but pre-COVID um, it was it was a very reasonable option. We also get seven education days, which is nice. And so you use those days for things like research meetings, conferences, and, um, and, and you can use them as well for any work-related activities. The other types of days off we get with the program is we get research days, 
which is which has been very very helpful because like every program in Canada you're expected to do a scholarly project and sometimes it's hard to balance your clinical duties your call duties and other duties you may have with the research and having that guaranteed time off so you're able to say hey listen I'll take maybe four days in this block for research so that I can get on top of my data collection, data analysis, preparing a a manuscript, preparing for a presentation. And so those are all options for you during your residency. And people use them however they they need to. And we're we're actually encouraged to use all of our days off. Okay, perfect. All right, thank you so much, Eleni, for walking us through sort of what a residency in the Ottawa PEDS program looks like in a sort of institution level, more specifics about the program, kind of what people can expect in the day-to-day practice of things, and then also giving us an idea about what living in Ottawa is like and what people can expect. Before we close off, are there any pieces of advice that you can share with medical students who are specifically interested in the Ottawa PEDS program? Ah, words of wisdom. That makes me sound like I'm wise. I don't really (laughs) feel wise. I think this is advice I give to everybody, no matter where they are in life. I think the most important thing to consider in any choices you have to make in life is not to be afraid to look inside. And it sounds really cheesy, but you need to do what you feel is best for you. And that requires a lot of introspection that requires a lot of honesty as well. And I think specifically when it comes to choosing programs and program locations, it's not going to be what's on paper for a program that's going to help you make that decision. It's going to be everything around what exists on on paper. It's going to be what are you looking for in your life? What kind of city do you want to live in? What opportunities are you interested in? If you have a partner, that decision may also be contingent upon your partner being able to find work or being happy in the place you're living in. It might be contingent upon if you yourself have a family or you want to be close to family, you want to be close to friends, you want to be close to certain services. Are you a rural person? Are you a city person? These are all super important questions to ask yourself because at least within pediatrics, you're going to be in that place for four years. And four years is a long time to be potentially unhappy because you prioritize something that maybe wasn't your top choice. And so if there's anything that listeners can walk away with, it's it's that in terms of advice is really listen to yourself, trust yourself, know that CARMS is a bit of a gong show at, on most days, but there's a weird poetic way that it tends to work out for the better. And even if it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, you have the strength inside to turn these opportunities however you need them to turn out. And there are always people around you who will be there to support you no matter what decisions you make and no matter what happens. And I think the final piece of advice I'd give is that you are never alone. And if you feel alone, I encourage you as much as you can to reach out to other people because in no way, shape or form, are you less than or a failure if you don't get your first, second or third choice. 
this profession and these choices and these programs do not make who you are as a person. And it's, I know it was hard for me to remember that the first time I did CARMS. It was a bit easier to remember the second time. And I hope that it's going to be the easiest to remember when it comes time for me personally to choose a place to call my future job as a staff physician. But those are the main things I want people to remember. Okay, thank you, Eleni. I think that's a great way to end off and a great thing for everybody applying this year to keep in mind for sure. So thank you again for taking the time to let us get to know you a little bit better and the Ottawa Peds program. Always a pleasure to be here. And if you want more information, you can follow us on Instagram at Ottawa Peds. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Canadian Pediatric Society's Meet the Residents podcast. We hope you found it helpful to hear directly from the residents about their experiences. To learn more, check out our other episodes featuring residents from other institutions across Canada.